and a Jew to be saved. That's a scary thing to say out loud in public, I tell you. It really is. Uh, it's a complicated question. What's a Jew? Uh, most people think of Jews today, I think, they think of the news. You think of the nation state of Israel, right? Zion, some call it, often its enemies. The modern nation state of Israel, however, is not Zion. We are. We are. The church is. Christianity is Zion now. Jerusalem's a city. It was called Zion once for a reason, because God dwelt there. Not the case anymore. He departed some time ago. You'll find some of the people who call themselves Jews who live in Jerusalem regularly will go to the wall of the old temple and they'll cry there. They'll put their hand on the wall and they'll, they'll scream at the sky. It's called the Wailing Wall. And they will scream at the sky about how God hasn't put them back in the land yet. So there's division amongst Jews whether or not Israel is Israel. There's division amongst Jews who is a Jew, who's not a Jew. So it really gets complicated quickly. And since the moment I, as a white German male in America, say Jew, someone's going to say what? Anti-Semitism. And just like that, I'm, well, they already made me the bad guy on TV, if you haven't noticed. They're twisting the story these days. White males with beers were dangerous people and stuff. Hi, yi yi. Let me tell you what the Bible says about Jews, though. It says that I am a Jew inwardly. That's what it says. I am a Jew. When someone asks you, what's a Jew? Say, I am a Jew. Can we do that together today? I am a Jew. There you go. Why do you know that? Because inwardly you believe in Jesus Christ, and therefore you are a son of Abraham, and therefore you inherit all the promises. So whoever thinks he's inheriting the promises of God from Abraham without Jesus Christ is not, according to the Bible, a Jew inwardly, but only one outwardly. And that usually means something like circumcision. Like that was the fight then. Right? Do we have to circumcise all the Greek men who are converting to Christianity? And there were some who said yes, and they departed from Christianity. Peter, James, Paul, John, they didn't say that. They said, this is about salvation by grace through faith, which we didn't have until the Holy Spirit put it back inside of us. And, oh, look, those people who aren't Jews, they believe too. Oh, my goodness, it's the gospel. <laughs> it's for the universe, not just for us. But again, now then, so what is the relationship of Christianity to this Judaism that retained and remained as an identity against Jesus Christ as their Messiah from the first century on, in Palestine on. When you see Jews today who call themselves Jews, whatever their bloodline is, their religion is what the Pharisees taught after the temple was destroyed. The temple that Jesus destroyed, by the way, he prophesied that. So their religion isn't even the Old Testament. And if you ever listen to them, it's very easy to see this because they only teach the Talmud, not the Old Testament. The Talmud is a commentary on the Old Testament, but they don't do what we do, go into the text. They don't. Why? Well, because Jesus is there. It happens every so often. You'll find some rabbi who right before he dies, is like, so by the way, guys, Yeshua, and he dies. And like, like he just knew it all this time. And he gave the witness at his death. Why not sooner? I don't know, but the stories come out. And that's where then what Paul's going to get out today is so very, very important. Can a Jew be saved? And the answer is yes. 
And if we're talking bloodline Jews, not Jews inwardly, right? A bloodline Jew. Somebody who's descended from Judah. This is my favorite part about Paul in Romans 11 here. When he's answering the question, can Jews be saved? He doesn't say, I'm a Jew. He says, I'm an Israelite. I'm from Benjamin. And if you don't know that that means something in terms of the name Jew, then you really don't belong in the conversation about what a Jew is, even if you think you are one. Because the fact is, we call anyone a Jew, pejoratively, originally, because that's who the people in Babylon conquered and took and put in Babylon, was the Judeans, not Israel. Israel had been destroyed by Assyria some generations prior. 100,000 or so of those 10 tribes swept out to the nations. And what was left with Judea, with little Benjamin and Simeon kind of trapped inside, and a bunch of other mixed marriages and things. So not all the tribes disappear, but everyone who's taken to Babylon, they just call them the Judeans. We don't even like them. We don't care. They're our slaves. They're the Judeans. And by the time the Judeans are sent back to Judea by King Cyrus uh, of, of Persia, right? They are going to go and rebuild Judea where the God of the Jews is actually the one who convinced Cyrus to do this. And you can read about the prophet. It's really amazing how all these empires just end up believing in God at the top at a certain point, Nebuchadnezzar. They do God's bidding. So he sends them back and they rebuild the temple and now we call them Jews. Okay, so what happened though? Where did they go? How did they get kicked out of that land? What happened was after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, There were some among the Jews who remained at that time, generally not the Pharisees, generally not the Sadducees. They were zealots. They were terrorists. They were freedom fighters. It was a civil war so far as they were concerned. They were the righteous ones. In any case, they get everybody killed. They get everybody killed. Unless you left Jerusalem, you got killed. You ate your children before they killed you. It was horrible, 70 AD. Rome does not let Jerusalem get rebuilt. It's 100 years. Aeole Capitolina, the city of Titus. (laughs) Amazing city on a mountain. And then finally, there's so many Christians there looking for, well, the places where things happened that it starts to become called Jerusalem again. And by 300, 400 AD, no one remembers Aeole Capitolina. Uh, it's just Jerusalem. But, but what happened to the Jews who were there? Many were destroyed. Many were scattered. And again, where, the pocket of the Pharisees, they, they congeal on the coast of the Sea of Tiberias, of the, of the Sea of Galilee. There's, a, there's a, uh, a synagogue there where the family of Caiaphas goes and rallies the politic. And they continue to make sure, among anything else, we know we're not Christians. If you're a Jew, you're not a Christian. That's like the definition again. And that comes out of their own history. Now, from there to here is an amazing other story. Have you ever met a black Jew? That'll throw you off. Some guy, he's, he's black as Nigeria, and he's like, hi, I'm a Jew. And you're like, there's a whole group in Ethiopia who call themselves Black Jews, they actually think they're the only Jews. Everyone else is lying. They're wrong. It gets complicated pretty quickly. I'll throw you one more out there. Most of what Americans consider Jews are what are called Ashkenazi. Uh, They're the ones we meet in our, they have synagogues around, and and they're kind of, uh, what do you call it? They can be the liberal Jews a lot of the time. Ashkenazi. Uh, It's just a heritage thing. It means they're not quite descended directly from the Middle East. They're descended through Europe, which means most Jews are, in fact, a lot German. 
which makes World War II a weird thing, a really weird thing, okay? So I'm not an anti-Semite. <laughs> I believe all men, all men are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, regardless of who your father was. And so again, getting in arguments about who's a Jew, who's not, is a recipe for hatred, honestly, for exclusion. And as much as Christianity isn't about what they call inclusion on TV these days, it is about bringing in. God came out from his throne to bring us in, to include us in his body as members of it, thus the feast. Inclusion. And Paul, asking the question now, Romans 11, do Jews get to be included? And his answer is, yes, if they believe in Jesus. Here we go. Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? That's the question. You look at the Jews, aren't they God's people? There's whole swaths of Christianity that want to promote the nation state of Israel and that we have to politically support them and go to war because they're Israel, because they're God's people, because if we don't do that for them, God won't bless America. That's a lie. That's a fat lie from the devil's face. We are Zion. We are the heirs of Abraham. If the world wants to be blessed, they should ask for Christians to pray for them. Not go save a tyranny state. You decide how to get there. British Empire, banks, everyone's angry about it. I don't have an opinion except for that. It's not Israel. It's not. We are. Does that mean that these people over there cannot be saved? No, certainly not, he says. Again. God's people have not been cast away from him at all, which means the good news of salvation to all mankind is now unleashed from that intertestamental lock of Pharisaism that held it down to go out to all of the nations so that all of the promises now belong not merely to one group or another group who says we're special, but they're just in the book. Open, read, they're yours. They're yours. God has not cast away his people. And now notice, he's like, and by the way, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize this again. This is just too good. Like, can you imagine being like at the fire pit? You got your beer, you got your cigar, you're all having the good talk. And someone's like, well, can Jews be saved? And someone's like, well, I don't know. What does it say in the Bible? And, and like, it goes back and forth for a while. And finally, Paul's like, hey, guys, I'm a Jew and I'm a Christian. So of course we can be saved. The beggar question is, why do some choose not to be? But see, that's a question not only for Jews, that's a question for every race under the sun, right? Why do some choose not to be? He'll talk about that here by the end a little bit, by the way. But first he says, I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. He's like, I'm better than a Jew. I'm an Abrahamite, you know? I go to the, to the root. Huh? God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. And by that, he doesn't mean that all Jews are saved. He means... I, Paul, am proof God didn't reject all of us. And Paul, chief of sinners, right? Like, who did, did he deserve this? No. Grace. Grace is coming here too, right? He foreknew us. Do you not know what the scriptures say of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have taken, your, killed your prophets, torn down your altars. I alone am left, and they seek my life. And right, we're going to try to come back to that here in a little bit. But the, the purpose of this is that, 
in response to why aren't there more Jewish Christians? Why isn't Christianity half Jewish Christians? Paul says, well, didn't Elijah say I'm all alone? Which is actually the answer, there are more Jewish Christians than you realize. There are. They're out there. They're actually quite big. There may be more Jewish Christians than there are Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod members. I'm not sure. We got about 600,000. How many Jews for Jesus are there? I don't know. Why don't we all see them? Because they're Baptists. Well, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah, that's weird. Let's see if I can say this again. Uh, it's the challenge here. Uh, all Israel isn't always Israel the way that Israel should be Israel. And that's actually the point of Romans 10 and 11 too. So if you're trying to study at home, like take that one and do that one again and again and again in the text. Not everyone who is saved sees everything the way that they should. Jesus still saves us. The Holy Spirit is still blowing amongst the Baptists. The Holy Spirit is still blowing amongst the Roman Catholics. Of course, if you put the Spirit to death, if someone says to you, you're saved by grace through faith, you say, no, I'm saved by works, I swear, okay, well then your, your faith's going to die. But the heresy that flies over the heads of most of us, including what you watch on TV every day, doesn't impact you as much as it could. As it could. Because the Spirit is strong, even though our flesh is weak. Yeah. So, we are not alone. God's Spirit is at work not only in this congregation, but in that Pentecostal one right over there, and in that Black Baptist one right over there, and that, I think it's Ukrainian, or no, it's not just, uh, Serbian Orthodox, it's not Russian, Serbian Orthodox right over there, right? Jesus is at work at, at State Line Church, he's at work at, at City First, and I disagree with lots of stuff at those churches, but to believe that right now, at this time in history, while we're watching wicked men do what they do, we're not alone, we're so not alone. We're not alone. That's what Paul wants us to believe because we're Christians. And so even among the Jews, there are many. Now, what does God say back to Elijah? We didn't get to that part in the text, and maybe this is a good time to kind of dive into that story for a moment here. I don't think with the clock looking at it, we're going to go back verse by verse through 1 Kings. But well, you heard it a few moments ago, and and hopefully you know about the setup this whole thing, right? Like, like there's a wicked queen. It's just great fantasy stuff, right? There's a wicked queen. She's evil. She's a witch. She hates God. She's trying to cause all manner of evil and twistedness in her empire. And this Elijah guy, he's a Tishbite. We don't really know much about him. He shows up and he's like, look, there's going to be a drought. And then there's a drought. And he's like, look, all these prophets are lying to you. Let's have a, a test. And he pulls together in the drought all of these prophets that have been supported by this wicked queen and has them build an altar. And he says, if your God will answer your prayer, then we will all follow Baal, yeah? But hey, I'm going to build an altar over here. And if you don't get an answer, and I do, well, we'll just see what happens after that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the guys with the other altar, they don't get an answer. They do something. You can find video of this, by the way. There's a, there is a group of Muslims in the Middle East. I don't know where, but every year there's a festival. And for like a day or two, the young men, 16 to 28 or whatever, they come out and they basically lash and whip themselves until they become unconscious. And it's like their act of, I don't know, repentance, piety, something. It's, they're trying to get God's attention is what they're trying to do, though. 
They're like, God, pay attention. <laughs> blood magic. You know. And uh, well, that's what these guys are doing is blood magic all around the altar, crying out, ah, making noises, spitting blood. I don't know. It was gross. It was so gross that Elijah doesn't have any problem cussing so far as Americans are concerned. He says, and I'm going to put it in kids' terms, he says, perhaps your God has to go number two and he'll be back soon. Right? Uh, but he doesn't say it like that. He says it the way you'd say it in a movie. Okay, And that's what he says to them. It's about, like, look, can you see the folly or do I have to tell you it's folly? He takes some water. He throws it on his altar, digs a trench, fills it with water. Praise to God and the fire like Sodom and Gomorrah comes out of heaven and it burns it all. The altar's gone. And again, I mean, I just don't think I'd have the, the wherewithal at that moment to be Elijah and be like, wow, that's something. Uh, so let's kill those guys. That's what happens though. They're all dead, which is according to the law of Moses, which is the way that they refrain from evil in their they're a country, right? There's supposed to be a country that's Christianity. And the lesson of this is not kill anybody who disobeys. It's don't let them tell you they're Christians. No, you're not. Oh, we can all believe this. No, you, no, you can't. Why are you so mean? I'm not. I don't understand why you won't listen to me. I do. <laughs> I mean, just don't let them have it. They don't belong. They have no right to talk if they're going to talk against the Bible. Huh? So... Again, there remains at this present time among us, amongst the Jews all over, this is the text, a remnant, a remnant. And, and this idea of the 7,000 who have not bowed the knee is so powerful to take home to you that whenever you feel like you are not enough, whenever God has a better plan, Whatever you think you need to be enough for isn't God's plan. Because he's enough for you, and you're enough for where he puts you. That's what he says when he baptizes you. And you're like, but I need more works. He's like, no, you need more grace. It's a beautiful thing that 7,000 have not bowed the knee. <laughs> Anybody following what's going on in Texas? Can I get a show of hands so I know I'm talking to you? Anybody? About half of you? I said Texas to somebody today, and they went by like they hadn't heard a thing. I have no idea what people know. I mean, you, you know that like the federal government and the state of Texas are on a, like a military standoff at the border? Like it's the precursor to civil war this week. Ah, I don't know what to make of it. I know that the, there's news that one of the guys who works for the federal border patrol, who's like a chief amongst that, says no matter what we're told, we won't shoot at Americans. Thank God for that guy. Put on a white hat wherever you are. Goodness gracious, do the right thing. What a scary time. Have you heard of Texas? Why do I bring that up? Do you ever feel surrounded? I grew up in 1980. Civil War? Even Texas and the American government fighting about anything ever? Homosexual marriage? Transgender? I, mean, I don't even know what country I live in, except I know it's the same flag. I know the Pledge of Allegiance. I can sing the national anthem, and would be glad to do so at the one barbecue place in town where they let you do it at noon every every week, every day. Uh, I'm okay with all of that, but I'm not okay pretending it's the same country. And I'm not okay ignoring the fact that where we get our stories, for decades we've said they're trustworthy, and if you still think that, I think you're an idiot. 
they are lying to you badly right now to the level where the governor of Texas and 25 other states have signed a tr treaty. They have support. We will fight back against the American government. Dear God, what is going on? And again, I say all that right now. So you'll come back to the text and know that there's 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee. And I'm not talking about the constitution. You want a good result? Get on your knees. There are people driving trucks and tractors and all manner of stuff to Texas, or so the internet says. They're all going to join up together. Militias are heading anywhere, so the internet says. Remember January 6th? You know how this turns out, right? They get a picture of you shooting somebody, and now we're all in trouble. Do you want to get through this safely? Get on your knees. America, get on your knees and believe you're not alone. There are 7,000, not because they all got together and planned it and did it, because the word of God is sufficient to hold them through the tyranny where their pastors were being jailed and killed. That's what Jezebel was doing, killing and jailing the preachers. And they all still hadn't bowed the knee. You know why? Because they believed it. They believed it. Verse 5, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. The idea of the remnant as the church is so powerful. I, I just, I, I ask you, write it down, the word remnant. No matter how empty it ever looks, no matter how small it seems to become, are there only two or three of you to gather together in Jesus' name? You're the remnant. And that means you are elected by grace. He doesn't not know you're there when there's just the two or three of you left. His eye is on the sparrow. Don't you think he has a plan for your not yet gray hair? Huh? Yes? He is with you at all times in all places. 7,000. Seven is the number of holiness. 10 is the number of completion. You triple 10. That's the number of the Trinity. God, three times, completing holiness. 7,000. At every time, in every place, the word remnant means God saves. God saves, not us. God saves. He elects, not us. And that's going to get into this next bit of the text very nicely, right? Where he says, verse 6, And if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You would think that'd be really clear. I, I don't know. Like, he's, he says it again in a moment, right? If it is works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, works is no longer work. Like, at a certain point, if you start to argue, you end up without meaning. Right? There's a place for debate. There's a place for nuance. But there's a place where once you argue with, you know, one and two don't count, well, now you, you'll never get three or four. And that's the way grace and works kind of works here. If you are going to believe that God... The Almighty, who made the stars in the sky by spitting it out of his mouth and like fingered in some dust and made a man. And now you're here way later after sin, right? If you think he needs anything from you, including your, yes, please save me, you're just wrong. He doesn't need anything from you. He's just going to save you. And it starts by him saying, I'm going to save you. And you're like, I, yeah, yeah, what? And eventually you're like, yes, please save me. And the idiocy of modernism, we think that's when we get saved. Like he's been working on us our whole lives, pulling through the spirit. And one day I go, Jesus, please save me. And <laughs> I made a decision for Christ. You know, it's just like, what? Yes, you did. You made a decision for Christ. Why? Because he called you. 
because he's gathering you, because he is electing you. Otherwise, grace ain't grace. I don't know what you're singing Amazing Grace about if you think it's about works. Now take this home with you. The next time anything in your head says shame, bad me, poor you, don't, blah, blah, grace is your answer. I'm elected. I'm elected by Jesus Christ to live forever. So whatever this darkness is, it's going to pass. Did I make the mess? I should clean it up. Did I not make the mess? I will help. Huh? Grace. Grace and works go together, but they are different things. And if you mix them, you destroy it all. Grace is not about what we are going to do. It's about who, who God is, his identity. When John says that God is love, and when Paul says that the fulfilling of the law is love, that's because this is who God is. He makes the rain fall on everybody, and even his enemies. He says, come home, be my friends. Romans 11 is going to go on and talk more about how Verse 7, Israel has not obtained what it seeks. What well, makes chapter 10 and 11 of Romans difficult, if you want to you know, read it straight through and study it, is he is going to use that word Israel more than one way, like I did earlier, right? Not all Israel is Israel the way that Israel should be Israel. Like I, I think I used four different meanings, <laughs> and that's part of the difficulty. So don't sweat that. You don't have to be a scholar. Um, but, but see what happens next, though, right? That Israel, the Jews— in their religion, Judaism, rejecting Jesus, don't get what you seek from being an Old Testament Jew, which is Jesus, even though that happened, the elect have obtained it. He's talking about elect Jews. He's talking about Jewish people who believe in Christ. So even though Judaism has not received Christ and is not elect of God, there are many elect people who are Jews. They're Christians. And in fact, some of you may even have Jewish blood in you too on that. The elect have obtained it. Now look, the rest were blinded. That is some tough stuff right there. The rest were blinded. I'm going to give you like the doctrine, and then I'll try to talk about it and how hard it is, but how good it is. The doctrine is, is that if you are damned, you did it. If you are saved, God did it. That's what the Bible teaches. Doesn't mean you don't participate, you don't have anything you do, right? If you're saved, God did it. If you're damned, though, it wasn't God's fault. That was that was all you. That was like, I made a decision to be damned. All right. That's the doctrine of the whole Bible. In that doctrine, in that space, once you've decided to make the decision to be damned, God is under no responsibility to give you another chance. So if you at like age 12 decide to be really cool at some party, be like, damn Jesus, right? And like God heard you, he might just be like, all right, and then he will actually harden you. He won't just leave you be. He won't send messengers later. He'll just be like, okay, fine, you're done, Shh, done. And now you're a pawn in his game. He'll sell you to the slaughter. He'll let you do whatever. He might give you a lot of power all so you can be destroyed in hell. That's because he hardened you. And Paul's saying, okay, so when you look at the Jews and you're like, why are only some Christians and not others? His answer is God hardened the rest. Who is this God is a good question. Who is this Jesus is a good question. He hardened the rest. The hardening is a hard teaching. Hardening is a teaching that I think is easiest understood if you can imagine the fruit was once perfectly ripe on the tree, but the rot has begun to set in. And once the rot has set in, all Jesus is going to do is cut it off. But the fruit came out ripe. So when you see a group of people, some Christians, not Christians, oh, I don't know, Lutherans, 
real problem these days. You know, it isn't because we started that way. We started as Christians. And then anti-Christianity, what do you want to call it? Wokeism, Marxism, Gnosticism, it, it all crept in and it stole what we are. And so now the name doesn't mean what it means anymore. Only the remnant remains. And at that point, let's say as Lutherans, where you see, let's say the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, divided about a number of things, hardly out there as a stellar witness to the world about much of anything these days. Uh, you, you look at that and you ask, why? How do we fix it? And that's not the thing to ask when you understand election. The thing to ask is, are we being hardened? And if so, what do we do about it? And the answer to what do you do about it is say, Jesus, please, you know, turn back. You know, <laughs> take not your Holy Spirit from me. And in fact, the moment you can honestly answer the question, am I being hardened? Like you ask that question, am I being hardened? You're not being hardened. It's kind of cool. Like you can't be. You're asking to not be in asking the question. But if, if the question is ever able to be asked, which is the dangerous thing, we're the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we will never fail. Like, oh my goodness, we're in trouble. No, my grandfather went to this school. Yeah, great. You know, what did he get taught? Do you teach it now? That's the bigger issue. Huh? So the hardening opens us up to understand that whenever it's not going well as a group, as a populace, it is in fact God's punishment. It is God's punishment. Now, where to bring this home? So when that extended family member doesn't believe, and you keep trying, I'm not saying don't try. I'm just saying know who you are. Is it your job to convert that person? And the answer is no. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convert that person. What's your job? To be a true witness. To not lie to testify to what you know of God and of man in all times, all places. You know, get your last BS and a no be no. Huh? Um, but you are not, by your power, able to make them believe that. Bring the horse to water, right? Can't make it drink. They're hardened. And if you can see that they're hardened, the answer isn't, well, let's all harden them more. It's more like pray for them. Golly, it looks like they're hardened. It looks like that person is going to lose their faith. I remember when that person used to confess the faith strongly. They don't go to church anymore, and they can barely mention Jesus. Ah, let me pray for their hardening, that God would remove that mask from them, lift the veil and teach them to see, right? But if he won't, it's not up to me to fix it, and i got to praise God. But he's going to use that hardening for good. It's going to be for the good of the church. So I want to give you two more verses out of Romans 11 here. It goes on past what we read. It says, this is Old Testament stuff. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, to this very day. Shifting gears just a, a touch here, but not entirely. How many times in the last three years after hearing something on the news have you said, that's crazy? You ever heard that? Oh, did you hear? That's crazy. Those people, they're doing this. That's crazy. No, it's not crazy. God has given them a spirit of stupor. It's not crazy. It's evil. It's evil, and God let them get in it and stay there. It's not hard to see these days. And again, the biblical solution is not to shoot anybody. It's 
to back away from the people who are calling the fire down on their own heads. Just back away. And then tell them, the fire's coming. Jesus loves you. The fire's coming, right? That's our task. And then where do we go? Where people want to hear the fire's coming? Jesus likes it a different way. We're going to be that way. You know, find that congregation. I've talked to the internet and you, but find that congregation, right? Where you're going to be supported in the walk. You can be a Christian when he returns, right? Otherwise, verse 9, you look at this. David says of them, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. He's talking about his own brothers in Judaism. What I want us to take out of this is less like, oh, well, the hardening of the Jews specifically and the hardening of mankind, and then recognize that, okay, it's our task to love everybody. It's our task to pray for the good of everybody. But as we watch the hardening of mankind happen, it's okay to also pray with David, let their table become a snare and a trap to them. Let me give you just one example of such a thing. When a person would say, be a lawyer who would defend a rapist who raped and brutally beat a five-year-old girl till she was in a coma, if you would defend that man so he gets off by using language such as she wanted it, this happened in the 80s. I'm not making this up. You know the name of the lawyer. I'm not going to tell you who. But if you don't think that that person deserves to have their table become a snare to them, you're not paying attention to what's going on in reality anymore. The sex slave trade is real, and it goes through Rockford, I'm told, now. I just started preaching about it. Someone's like, you know that's in Rockford. <laughs> I believe it. Right? Let the table become a snare to them. It is not bad when you watch a wicked government eat itself to death. Just don't be in the city while they do it. Just don't be with them while they do it. It's good when God hardens them to their own destruction. Why? Because on the ashes, the meek inherit the earth. Underneath it, there are good men in white hats waiting for it to fall apart. And it's never as bad as you think. You're not alone. There's 7,000 out there in every place ready to do God's will. Again, let's get on the knees and start saying, Jesus, let me see it. Jesus, let me see it. If it's there, let me see it. Now, so, well, that's sort of what Elijah's doing when Elijah ends up out in the wilderness saying, I am the last one, right? Getting back to that story a little bit here. He has all those prophets killed. It doesn't go so well. She makes a curse, right? She sends a letter. Why? If, you, if anyone knows this answer, why does Jezebel send the letter telling him she's going to kill him? I mean, if I'm going to kill somebody, that's not how I'm doing it. I'll just tell you right there. It seems stupid to me. I, I, if you know that answer, I'd love to hear your pious thoughts. But anyway, he, hear, he gets this letter, and off he goes. He's gone. Like, he's scared. Maybe that's what she wanted. I would have put him to death. <laughs> uh, but off he goes, leaves his servant in Judah, goes off into the wilderness, ends up under that broom tree. Uh, he's hungry and alone, alone more, wants to die, sees no hope, has no options and the angel shows up, right? Gives him that bread. This is important. Not so much because we should think about how we're going to get bread, but more, where is he? The wilderness. What came from God? Bread out of heaven. Did that happen before? Yes. With who? Moses. Oh, who shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration again? Moses and Elijah. Bread from heaven. You seeing something there? Yeah, there's more coming on that, but, but hang that one in on the back of your head. So he, he's there in the wilderness and he gets the bread just like Moses gave. 
And he's told this journey is too great for you. Great line. Why the Lord's Supper? Why weekly communion? Why, after you're baptized and forgiven, do you need more forgiveness? The journey is too great for you. He's given more food, and he's sent all the way to Horeb. It's Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. I love, don't go too fast past. I love, he goes in the cave and spends the night. I mean, I've slept on the floor. You put yourself in a cave overnight and you wake up, you feel that, oh, in the back there, cold, what's going on, right? What are you doing here, Elijah? And up to this point, not a lot of word of the Lord came to Elijah, by the way. So the times he gets these voices aren't too often. And this one's like, what are you doing? And his answer is, I want to die. I want to die. He doesn't mean really he hates life. He means he hates his life. And this is key. You struggle with depression? You don't hate life. But you kind of hate your life. That's not a normal. Elijah did too. Why? Well, things weren't going well. So what did he do? Cried out to God. That's good. He gets an answer, not quite the one he thought, but it will be sufficient. It will be enough. Right? Grace is always enough. The answer that Elijah gets is, again, 7,000 haven't bowed the knee. There's, of course, plenty of Christians out there. So go find this guy, Elisha, who you've never met, but he's got 12 oxen in his line, which it's like past that wall, right? That's a lot of oxen to, to, to plow with. This guy's wealthy, powerful, strong, whatever. You know, he is on Elijah's team. That's the key. Oh, and Hazael, the new head of Damascus, right? He'll help you out, Elijah. Hazael, he's my enemy. Uh, and the way the story is going to play out, he's going to help Elijah and the cause of God out, right? So that's the message Elijah gets. But with our last few minutes, let's get to that Matthew text where Jesus is going to have all of this happen to him where he is the fulfillment of it all. And it starts with that John the Baptist's death. So can you put John the Baptist's death right beside the prophets of Baal's death and the prophets of Yahweh's death at Jezebel's hand and see that there's this reality where the power that is, the army, the strength, the government, whatever you want to say it, they are arrayed against God. And what happens next what happened to Elijah is what's going to happen to Jesus. So John the Baptist has his head beheaded. What does Jesus do? He goes off into the, into the wilderness. Yeah, that's verse 13 of Matthew 14. He departed from there by boat to a deserted place, right? Uh, we don't really know where. Sea of Galilee is quite large, but the, the east and northeast side is where you got the most remote territories. It's not the same wilderness that the Jews would have wandered in, Israel would have wandered in uh, under Moses, but note the metaphor, note the picture. He also is being driven by the government out from the country where the multitudes hear about it. They follow him on foot from the cities. That's not what happened to Elijah. So when he gets there, he sees a great multitude and he's moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, deserted place, the hours late, send them away. He says, you give them some food. And they say, we only have the fish and the five loaves. Bring them here to me. I'm skimming here for the sake of our time. But, you know, he, he does this sacramental moment. He looks to heaven. He blesses the bread. He breaks it. It's all like the Last Supper. Uh, all there. But, 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 Elijah runs to the wilderness. Bread from heaven. Moses, out in the wilderness. Bread from heaven. Jesus, in the wilderness, 
a bunch of people. He doesn't ask, and no one gives it to him. He gives it to them. But he's the man now, fleeing from the danger. Is he fleeing? No, he's going to the cross. But before he goes to the cross, after hearing about the death of John the Baptist, he wants to go up on the mountain to pray, just like Elijah. That's what happens next. It's it's the most amazing part of the story, I think. After 21, those who had eaten were 5,000 men besides women and children, which means probably 10,000 people plus. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. What are you doing, Elijah? I don't think the father had to ask him that, but we're supposed to see it. He's not asking, what am I doing? He knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. What he's going to do next is going to help show that. That's our text next week, so I'm not going to get too far ahead. But see how in a world in which the journey is definitely too great for you, the bread from heaven has been provided. This bread that we eat this morning is just bread until Jesus' word is spoken over it. And then according to his mystery, it is his body and blood, which means that when it orally goes into you, when you eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ, this is confirming your baptism. This is strengthening your faith. This is declaring you a member of the body of Jesus Christ as well, right? That we are the body, we are his members together. That reality, take bread from heaven, it's wherever you need to go. When you leave today with this food that's been put into your belly, which is Jesus, know that his spirit is with you too. And so every single day this week in the wilderness in which you walk, you will be provided for. God goes before your way, he straightens your path, and he makes it a broad place to stand. And you might say to me, Pastor, it doesn't feel like a broad place. I say, are you on your knees yet? Hope you feel me there. He will put you in a broad place, even if the broad place is your own cross and you're nailed to it. And by the time you get there, you know exactly what you're doing. That's our king. More next week in the name of Jesus. Amen.